0: We're listening to All Things Video, a podcast dedicated to uncovering the past and charting the future of the online video ecosystem. This episode is brought to you by TubeBuddy, the complete toolkit for YouTube channel management. This power-packed browser extension helps with everything from bulk metadata edits and trending keyword suggestions to thumbnail optimization, fan engagement tools, and so much more. Visit TubeBuddy.com to meet your new best friend on YouTube.
1: Welcome to All Things Video, I'm Jackie Copel here with Luke Wang and we are going to tell you all the things that are happening recently in the video world. First up, the Streamy Awards nominees were announced. Yay! Crowd goes wild!
0: We're also going to be talking about some upcoming policy changes on the YouTube side of things, particularly as it relates to MCNs, creators, and then the platform as a whole.
1: And then we'll close out talking about Snapchat versus Instagram and stories galore. So first up are the streamies. They were announced. It's very exciting. Uh, at least it's exciting for the digital world. And it seems to be that it's getting more and more exciting for the traditional world. The nominations were not just in the digital publications, but they were also Variety and Hollywood Reporter and, you know, the rest of the world is sort of recognizing that yeah, this it's, is a It's, it's thing. giving
0: it a lot of credibility, I think, that it didn't necessarily have in years yeah. past. And I think this is now the sixth year of the Streamy Awards, mm-hmm. which if you think about, you know, six years ago, that was 2010. If you were to say hey, I'm a YouTube sensation and I got nominated for this okay. award, people would be like, you are a crazy person. It
1: was sort of like getting a ribbon in fifth grade. Yeah. Like, good job. Participation award. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: But, uh, but I think now, I think as new media influencers are starting to show their value, show their worth to the entertainment community as a whole, I think there's a, there's a certain amount of credibility that has definitely elevated them that they haven't seen in years past.
1: It's also taking place at the Beverly Hilton, which is where they do the Golden Globes. So, I mean, you know, they're really trying to connect it, not just in in sort of the media, but literally in the same room as one of the major award shows. So it's cool. I mean, you know, everyone gets to dress up and feel important and fancy, and, you know, it's everyone then goes in realistically gets drunk.
0: And I also think that uh, one thing that is really great about the is that they continue to evolve... With the industry that they represent in a way that, like, television and uh, the, the Emmys and the Oscars don't. Because you see that this year, I think that was the first year they've announced um, a live category, mm-hmm. a 360 video slash virtual reality category, a feature length category. So, you know, they have done a really great job just keeping in step with how the industry is changing and evolving.
1: Yeah, no, that's that's for sure. One question I'd like to ask is, what are your thoughts in terms of supporting up and coming creators versus recognizing the sort of typical creators, right? The ones who have been around for a while who are talented and very successful, but yet we've seen them either be nominated a lot or you know, we've just seen a certain regularity of, of their names.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I think there's um, at this point, again, six years into the streamies, um, there is kind of this Mount Olympus of creators that everyone knows by name, whether it's the Grace Hellbags the PewDiePies, the Logan Pauls, um, you know, everyone, the King Batches, like everyone that's sort of been in this industry and, and, and knows each other. Um, and, and I think like any, you know, industry, that establishment is is part of just what makes this industry what it is. So. Do I think that there's a little bit of retread in terms of the the nominees sort of being the same every year? It's not like I've done the research and said, okay, there are like, you know, 60% recurring I want the data. I want the analytics,
1: Luke. (laughs) And I I want you to email that to me. I'm more of a
0: gut feeling kind of guy. Um, My gut feeling says... Feelings, not facts. Exactly. Gut facts. My gut feeling is that there's definitely been sort of like the same names we see every year. And that's fine. I think those guys work really hard to get to where they're at. Um, and, and, you know, if there's a reason they're at the top is because they are the most creative. And it's not easy to stay consistently relevant year after year, especially when, you know, there's just seems like another new platform that's uh, growing every year. So for them to sort of still stay in the, I guess, cultural zeitgeist, or whatever am going to call it, is a testament to their hard work and to their brand. But it also does seem like, you know, it, it, we are seeing the same names. And, and, and I'm not sure, you know, unlike with the Emmys and the Oscars where, when you get those nominations, it it provides an extra financial boost. It provides right. an extra yeah. brand boost to those shows, to those films. I, I haven't really seen that yet.
1: Right, yeah. It doesn't seem like the streamies are necessarily changing the careers of the creators. It's just a nice sort of pat on the back. And I do think it adds to the... Sort of allure of the industry, and it gives a lot of street cred. I would imagine winning a Streamy, especially now, and with each progressive year, it'll matter more. And you know, as as people really do separate themselves out further from you know being really the best. Like there were some categories, I thought, wow, that's some actual steep competition, right? Some of the, especially some of like the sort of more videography categories. There are some amazing creators and directors that that's a tough category right because the content that they're making is beautiful and really well edited and deserves recognition so perhaps as a as the years go on and B as they get more and more of a foothold in traditional Hollywood that may matter more and maybe someone can then become a DP on a you know a, a larger feature if that's what they want what I also think will happen is more traditional talent will get nominated for streamings. Mm-hmm. and as that sort of uh, crossover starts to happen the importance of them, and the impact of them will uh, sure. increase a lot. The streamies recognize, in theory, the idea of the top creators, but what about the creator middle class? What about recognizing that talent? And also, how does that talent rise? And there's a, a concern, certainly amongst that middle class, that there's less and less of a way to do that because the YouTube algorithm really, at least right now, really benefits the larger channels. And if you know those first literal 10 minutes How many views do you get really helps dictate how much lift Mm -hmm. you get from from YouTube. So Mm -hmm. what do you think about that?
0: I think with every platform, the people that move in first tend to reap the most rewards. And that's why you see that when YouTube first started, a lot of the early guys, you know, some have flamed out, but for the most part, the guys that are really big today are people that started within the first two or three years of the partner program opening up. It's so true. Um, and, And same with Vine. And then same with snapchat and same with mm-hmm. you know instagram like every platform has had its og stars whatever you want to call them and I like that
1: hashtag og stars, hashtag OG
0: stars. <laughs> sure. like that yeah we're gonna put that in the podcast actually there should be a benefit right like if you are one of the earliest adopters of uh you now um and you now have to take off it's it's kind of like winning the lottery like you know you, you basically become the first mover on a platform and you're writing that platform for what it is you know, platform may also be writing you and other, other influencers as well, but it's a mutually, you know, symbiotic relationship between the two, the creator and the platform. And there's plenty of influencers that have jumped on other platforms that have not gone popular. And it's kind of a hit or miss sort of business. And unless you are someone that actually works at that company or has a, has a deep understanding of what makes a particular app or platform take off, you know, it's kind of like up to you how much time you want to spend devoting to each platform. And especially as a creator, like, I feel like, you probably have a really interesting insight on how do you keep up with all these different you know social media
1: It's so hard Yeah It's so difficult to, to keep up I mean personally I've started to in, I've invested a lot more time on Facebook because I feel like that's actually a place where there's not just you can grow but it's also not expensive to advertise and so you it's not to say you can play with the big boys right until you have an spare you know even 10 grand right Great, then then go, take that money, pump it into a few videos, get, get the likes on the page and go. But without that spare 10, 20, 50 grand that you know, brands can afford to spend, you still actually can make a dent in your audience with $5, right? You can direct views and YouTube, you can do that. It's, it's just a lot more complicated. The advertising, it's just more difficult. It's, it all feels a lot weightier on YouTube. And on Facebook, it's really simple. And also their algorithm is still developing, their video content, they're still really prioritizing. And so it seems like you have a chance. On YouTube, I love YouTube, but I don't feel like I have a chance at all.
0: Mm-hmm. I feel
1: like every new subscriber, I got lucky. And mm-hmm. somehow they found it and someone shared it. Mm-hmm. But without without collaborations and without that traffic drive, it's essentially impossible. Right. It's re- Literally to be found. Rising above the noise is tough to begin with, but... And this can help segue, segue us into the second conversation. But, you know, the, the impact that the YouTube algorithm has is so obviously massive. And there hasn't been, in my opinion, as a small to medium-sized creator, there hasn't been a ton done to really help us grow. Mm-hmm. Which I think, personally, is a missed opportunity. Mm-hmm. Because I think if YouTube wants to make even more money, you make more successful people. Then there are just more people to A, sell ads to... B, more brands can get involved. Do yeah. you
0: feel like it's a, a zero-sum game, though? Because if, let's say, they're helping you surface up, that means they're going to have to be taken away from someone else?
1: Well, you know, the big the big fish d- wouldn't like it, but yeah, in effect. Mm-hmm. Maybe this this explains some of my own personal politics, but I'm not so mm-hmm. u- upset about someone who gets 10 million views a month. And I don't take anything away from the talent, but there are, there are certain things that help them, certain mechanisms. So does it make me feel so bad if someone was getting 10 million and now they're getting 9 million and that million was spread amongst 50 creators? No, that doesn't <laughs> bother me. That's awesome. And I think you want you should want to share into the ecosystem so that people can, everyone can grow. But I also subscribe to the concept of all boats rise. And if we help each other, it actually helps, you know, whatever ecosystem you're talking about, it actually helps that grow. So that's where I come from. And so that's why, you know, if I were a two-million-person sub-creator and I had millions and millions of views every month, I'd be okay with it because mm-hmm. I'd say I want someone else to, to go for it. Yeah. But not everyone feels that way. And, yeah. and, and some people say, no, I work for everyone and I deserve it. Mm-hmm. But again, the algorithm is helping you. Right. So speaking of YouTube policies in general, right, let's talk a little bit about the second topic, which is the MCN world in particular, or at least these policy changes seem to be most affecting the MCN world. The policy change is that Now, YouTube creators, once they are linked to a network, the network has to release them. That is going to change in a few months and now the creator is actually going to be able to release themselves. It's basically taking the power all the way from the MCN and moving it completely to the creator, which obviously impacts contracts, relationships, etc. One might argue it makes the MCNs really have to stick to their word on things. On the flip side, or there're going to be a lot of lawsuits. Yeah, it's
0: uh it's it's going to be interesting because I feel like the MCN to creator to YouTube relationship dynamic has always been a delicate balance. For sure. And obviously the the party that has the most power in that three person three three entity dynamic has always been YouTube. Mm-hmm. Whatever YouTube says goes. They are the judge, jury and executioner in terms of setting policies and setting the rules for how people sort of play in the sandbox. YouTube has always tried to figure out what is the best policy for the the user, whether that is either the audience or the creator. I think they serve those two constituents first and foremost. And then second is the MCN or the advertiser or anyone else.
1: Yeah, but they also rely on the MCNs, right? I mean, it's this weird relationship where YouTube is sometimes sort of aggressive against the MCN, and yet the MCNs really provide a a dock for talent and a way to help YouTube, essentially corral talent, to help handle them, to keep them happy. It prevents YouTube from having to answer a lot of questions that, you know, help desk issues that Mm -hmm. MCNs provide. So... It's always been a weird relationship. Mm -hmm. It's always been this sort of, I like you, but I don't totally like you.
0: So my my take with MCNs was always that I felt that YouTube used them as guinea pigs to deal with customer service, uh, to deal with sales, and anything else that wasn't a truly scalable component of YouTube, meaning outside of content delivery and audience growth and anything else that's a platform-specific feature. And I think now you're starting to see that if there is a way to disintermediate the MCNs from the stuff that YouTube now feels capable of handling, then they're going to come in and do so. And I think that's one of the reasons why the pendulum is swinging all the way back is maybe they feel comfortable taking on a lot more responsibility now.
1: I, just, I do feel that the, the smarter move would have been to find the middle ground, the sweet spot, Right, so who is this going to affect? Obviously, for the the lay creator, this is great. You can just jump around, say, yeah, I want to join you or not you. The MCNs are going to lose a fair amount of money, especially if you do minimum guarantees. But a creator says, nah, I'm good, I'm out, and maybe didn't meet all of them with brand deals. You're talking about tens, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars potentially lost on even one talent. You are talking about probably a loss of trust in the relationship. You know. Creators rely on MCNs, not fully, but in many ways, there's a reliance for brand deals. But there's a working relationship there. And to lose the trust, you know, it puts definitely a lot more pressure on the managers to make sure, sure that the talent are in line.
0: You mean the partner managers partner at managers. The MCNs? Yes, exactly. Right,
1: right. Um, to make sure that, you know, talents are happy. Here's Here you go. Here's where it empowers talent. For the big talent... It means they have to get everything that they want, or they will just leave. Mm-hmm. But I do think minimum guarantees and sort of money up front, anything like that, if not disappear, it's going to change how it gets sure. doled out. Sure. And and that's a loss for some of the, the larger creators. That said, once you're in the spot, you can just be like, what? I'm leaving if you don't give me, you know, X, Y, right. or Z. Um, and, and
0: I don't, I guess if if we're diving super deep into it, right, like, What is the real reason why an MCN should take ten percent of a creator's earning every month? You know, if you think about agents and managers on the traditional side, they're not for the most part, at least I think they're not taking AdSense earnings away from their clients. You know, it's like depends upon the relationship. It depends on the relationship but like I I I almost know for certain CAA William Morris, those guys don't take AdSense earnings.
1: No, I think mostly not. Yeah. Yeah. Agents sure.
0: They only eat what they kill. I, but I think, you know, it's, it's now putting the MCNs in a place where they have to actually define who they are. You know, they are no longer just this thing, this ad network that exists uh, that takes a 10, 20, 30% commission off of their network of channels every month. And they have to define, like, who are they going to be? Are they an ad agency? Are they a talent management company? Are they a production company? Yeah. Are they, you know, an OTT company, for, mm-hmm. you know, building an SVOD product? Like, what are you? And maybe on the Google end of things, they were thinking these companies have basically been, you know, raking in money off of our platform. Value has not really been reciprocated, you know, either to the creator or to us in any sort of meaningful way. And they've mostly just been able to live in this undefined place of not having to figure out who they are. So now we're going to push them to do so.
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess... The place where I think this is great is for the smaller creator who maybe wants to switch or doesn't want to be part of an MCN anymore and got stuck into a either a long-term contract or an uncomfortable one, or, or look, you know they're at 10,000 or 4,000 or whatever number it is and they're not getting served. And I think that's great because a lot of these smaller channels get totally ignored. Absolutely... Not paid attention to. Sure, maybe you get a music library to use, but really nothing else. Just in general, right? All of these MCNs. You talk to anyone who works at an MCN, and everyone knows that unfortunately, when you're smaller, you just don't get the attention. So for those creators, I think it's terrific because it really puts it puts not just control, but their money back in their own pockets. And if they don't want the music library or whatever comes with it, it's up to them, and they can make that decision without feeling, you know, closed in. Also for those kids who sign up without their parents' permission, but lie and claim that they have their parents' permission, it's a lot easier to handle that. Mm-hmm. So those legalities get, get worked out. But yeah, for the, for the bigger, for the bigger fish, it's, it gets really complicated and it does. It, it, it It's going to force, as you say, the MCNs to figure out where their value add is to talent and and why talent really should want to be with them aside from we handed you a check. Right. Which and is it, a totally valid reason, by the way. Sure. For sure. What it's worth.
0: And I, and I think you touched on an interesting point. I know you, I think you used it as kind of in a joking way, but like the audio library, right? Like yeah. I think the It's a people, real thing. Mean, a big deal. Yeah, absolutely. I think the people that provide specialty services on YouTube or, or for YouTube creators are going to be some of the most, like they're going to reap the most benefit mm. from this thing because now... Creators are take a, are going to take a hard look at okay what have I actually gotten back in return from my right. MCN over the last two years at a eighty twenty deal, you know I've paid roughly two thousand dollars in annual fees or whatever right. you want to call it to the, to full screen or to maker or to whoever, but you know I can get insert music library service here for you know hundred bucks a year. I could save myself $1500. I could also sign up for, you know, any of a dozen influencer agencies right. and get the same sort of like access to brand Brands. deals, probably yeah. even better to be honest because those are going to be scaled deals not like I'm only going to my cream of the crop, AAA talent. Um, the only the only
1: time I would actually say one of the benefits if you're a big creator in the MCN space is when you do these big they do these big scalable deals. And so they say, we want 30 talent, right? And so they go to the MCN because they have this wide swath of talent. Or you're creating a scripted series, right? And so there are these mega deals and the talent gets a decent portion of it. And that's where I would say, you know, the MCNs do provide a different value from these random influencer Mm -hmm. companies. That's where they're really getting targeted clients, right? So that's the caveat I would put on that. Yeah.
0: I mean, I i'm 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 you know have a lot of other opinions about the influencer agencies that we could probably discuss <laughs> at another time. But stay tuned, stay tuned future exactly. episode I guess now would be a good time to talk about our third topic, which is the recent uh development that you know Instagram has openly admitted to copying the Snapchat story feature and integrated it into their app.
1: It's called Instagram Stories. Instagram Stories.
0: <laughs> Shocker. What are your thoughts about kind of just the fact that they're so open about, you know, mimicking a Arrival's, you know, one of their top features? I think it's
1: genius. I think it's super smart. I definitely thought it was a little weird they actually called it the same thing. That was a little bizarre, but it's smart, right? Your audience and, and clients then know exactly what it is. You know what you're getting with, with stories. You know, it's not quite as flexible yet as, as Snapchat. It doesn't have the filters and don't have the dog with, you know, the tongue yet. So until yet. they get... Do- exactly, yet. But they'll, I'm sure they'll use a different breed of dog. So they haven't they haven't sort of figured that out yet. But I think it was, it was a smart move. Do you think
0: it's going to negatively affect Snapchat?
1: Yes, I do. Um, tell me what. I don't think it's... Nece- it's not going to put Snapchat out of business. But there are a lot of creators, right? You have to be on all these different platforms. It's super annoying. And especially for the Instagrammers who have these massive audiences but recognize it's a similar audience to the Snapchat world, they've had to be on multiple platforms. Well, if you can do the same or virtually the same thing on one platform, you're definitely not going to leave to then go create the same video and story in, you know, on Snapchat in the same way. So I think there's going to be I already know, and you, I mean, you've read articles, you've heard it already, where people are like, oh, thank God, now I only I just need to do Instagram. And Instagram is prioritizing video as well as stories really, really heavily right now. So you really get a huge benefit by participating within that ecosystem. Snapchat's not going anywhere, right? They've made a lot of great choices and they've done a lot of really smart things, but they're struggling to figure out what they do next. And, you know, they're making content plays and discovery mm-hmm. and all But I do think that this cuts into market share. I don't think it destroys the company by Mm -hmm. any stretch. But it's also, you know, it's hard to feel badly. Right now it's like Goliath versus Goliath. Mm -hmm. Oh, you're worth X billion and you're worth a different X billion. Mm -hmm. They don't have a lot of sympathy for that. (laughs) I think it's great. And I think competition is awesome.
0: Yeah. Personally, I think that Snapchat as a company has been the most amazing social media company that's evolved their app over the last 12 months, meaning the way that they've um, grown from, you know, I guess if you think about even just two years ago, maybe two and a half years ago, they were still just a messaging app.
1: Isn't it crazy that we are talking in like individual years? Yeah. Like this much happens. Yeah. <laughs> An entire company has, has. I mean, it was doing well, but right. like what? Yeah. We are in the technology the technology age that it moves so fast right. that we are talking about months even down to days sometimes. Right. Individual years, not decades. Mm-hmm. It's unbelievable.
0: It, it really is. I mean, because in 2012, 2013, it was still kind of like the dick pic app, right? Yeah. It was just like, okay, this is just me talking to my friends. I don't want my parents to see I don't want, you know, the government to see or whoever to see. Um, the government to see. <laughs> yeah. I don't want the government to see now, my parents. Now, you know, it's a media company and it's like we're, it's almost evolving past the media company now. Now it's on the front cusp of being a like an AR company okay. in the sense of all these uh the I guess filters or it's a geo filters or they what, what them do they call you? the masks it's the filters right yeah, so yeah the filters are are changing the way that people perceive the world whether it's something stupid like you know just having uh the dog ears and the in the funny faces or whatever but I think or
1: the greatest filters ever that make you look awesome.
0: Or, or And that. they
1: literally take every blemish, yeah. every wrong thing, and all of a sudden you're like, I look great today. I just <laughs> what, look awesome. What happened,
0: though? <laughs> yeah,
1: it's like, I don't know what I did, yeah. but in the past minute, yeah. I just got really good and, looking. And, and,
0: and if you could bring that with you everywhere, like that oh, would be the best thing ever.
1: Absolutely. Hello, avatar for life.
0: <laughs> just to kind of tie it back, sorry. I think Snapchat has really been at the cutting edge of evolving their product. And I think when it comes to competing for engineering talent, it's much more attractive to be at the company that's setting the pace or or the tone of where the market's headed than a company that's just copying um, what another app is doing. So I think from that perspective, Snapchat stands to gain a lot because all the best engineers are going to be wanting to work at that kind of a company as opposed to one that's constantly playing follow-up.
1: But do you really think of Instagram and Facebook as a company that's playing follow-up all the time?
0: Not all the time, but I think in certain areas, especially in the teen demographic, they're definitely playing follow-up to Snapchat because of the engagement and the fact that most of the stories I read about Snapchat are just about how they're just crushing it with the 13 to 17-year-olds. Totally. And Facebook and Instagram, like I hate to use the term millennial because no one knows what the fuck a millennial is or what the actual age band is
1: approximately 18 to 35 okay
0: so then snapchat is for the post-millennial demographic and and i think that's always the most valuable target demo for advertisers for whoever because they're the ones that are coming into their own and and setting the setting the uh tone in terms of what is cool in the world
1: you could always say that but that's playing a much longer game, Mm -hmm. right? Because the 13-year-old or 14-year-old doesn't have any money. Sure. They just have their parents' money. Right. Which sometimes you can use the credit card, and that's great. But it's the 18 and then everyone else who actually is out in the world making money and that can tangibly buy. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, for for the long game, yes, you're getting people invested in your brand a few years earlier. But for the short to medium to long game... I think Snapchat's great, and and it's doing very well, and like I said, it's not going anywhere. But I think that they haven't figured out how to make it appealing to anyone but that demo, Mm -hmm. right? And Mm -hmm. so once you are not in that demo, look, people Snapchat in college, people, I Snapchat, you know, Mm -hmm. I mean, but they really haven't been able to break out of that, Mm -hmm. and so then the question becomes, will they be able to? And if not, that's okay, you can run a very successful company for many years. Mm-hmm. Hello, Nickelodeon. <laughs> they are still killing it, and it's decades. Mm-hmm. But the question is, you know, can they bring older people onto that platform? Mm-hmm. I don't know. And Facebook is doing such a great job of being, of sticking to their audience and saying, like, all right, if we're not going to get the thirteen-year-olds right now, we'll get them over time. Mm-hmm. Right. Damn, that's impressive. Yeah. That's long game. For
0: sure. Right? For sure. I mean, that's Zuckerberg's you style. can't argue with the 1.7 billion users that okay. Facebook has. And I think actually we're about to wrap up. or running out of time, unfortunately. So I um, think
1: we just ended on genius conversation. I think so. We, I we think did. we did.
0: I absolutely agree. You're welcome. Appreciate you guys all listening. And uh, please leave us a five-star review um, on iTunes, Google Play, and Acast if you can. Thanks so much.
1: Thanks for tuning in to All Things Video. We'll see you next time.